Желание. Джавой. Welcome to the Coffee Clash crew, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier review of episode three, Power Broker. I'm Brian. This is Lewis. And that's it. Jason took a hiatus today for the holiday, so just be the two of us. But we're more than capable of holding down the fort. Hopefully, Jason trusts us after a couple episodes to, to host it on our own for this week. So, Lewis, that that was a great episode we got this week. What oh, were yeah, your definitely. thoughts? Right off the bat, I thought it was incredible how... Uh... Pretty much how everything was kind of fast paced. It didn't feel like a slow episode like previous episodes, like in the beginning. It just like action packed from the very get go. It was just almost every scene had me like, all right, that's cool. That's oh, okay, back to back. I I thought it was perfectly paced. It, It was the first episode when it ended, and I was like, oh. Damn it, I didn't see the time. I didn't see now there's nothing else, you know? So it, it was it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally agree. It was it kind of felt back to WandaVision-esque, where it's like you just got to the end of the episode and you're like, oh, that that's it. Like I was saying last podcast, this feels like a three-hour movie that's broken up into six chunks. And right yes. about this time, you're halfway into the movie, you do kind of need a little bit of action. You do kind of need something to kind of keep propelling the story forward. And this is exactly what we needed right now. And you're right. Uh, you got to the end of the episode and you're just like, whoa, wait, that, that was it? There's not more? Well, yeah. I, I want more. I want next week to already show up and be here. So yeah, I totally agree. It was action-packed at the right pacing mm-hmm. and left you breathless for more. Yeah, this, this one actually did feel like, like you said, if you put all the episodes together, this would be the, the part where it's like, all right, this is a movie. I'm watching a movie, not a series that's been building up to this. This is a regular MCU film that I could have easily seen in, on, on the big screen. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it's great. Before we get too much deeper into the episode and talk about some of the pivotal scenes, let's dive into the Marvelverse and take a deeper look into new characters and locations for this episode. So obviously the big new location we got for the vast majority of the episode, which we'll get into later, is Madripoor. Madripoor, as they explained in the episode, started out originally as a pirate town, and it's now more or less a Las Vegas for criminals, where there's no real extradition, there's no real consequences. I thought it was really nice that they did talk about the high town and the low town aspect of it. That did come from the comics where the high town, as the name implies, is the really lofty, super wealthy, hoity-toity type area town. And then the low town is the flip side where it's run down, it's shantytown, it's the poorer, more seedier aspect of it. And that's where we got into this episode in, in that aspect of the town, which was really great to see because I don't think we would have been able to propel the story in the way that we did without going into low town. If we went into high town, it would just be all like ritz and glamour and life is great. And, right. You know, I've, I've made all this money based on everybody else's actions versus, mm-hmm. again, Lowtown. It, it gets you to really the, the seedy underbelly of the MCU. Right. It, it gets you to like the sketchy, corrupt and bad these type of towns could get. So putting characters like Bucky and Sam into that situation and them seeing how these towns are still there after all the superhero stuff, all the corruption is still around. You know, it's it's pretty cool to see them in, in a situation like that. Yeah, it's kind of one of those what would you do if scenarios where you're, you know, you have a good character, you have somebody with some morals, and then you're put into a situation where you need to go into the exact opposite of that. How do you react and how do you deal with it? Like I said, we'll get into that later on here in the cast, but it was it was really cool that we were able to see that dark, seedy part of the MCU. 
Oh, yeah. So we got a couple characters. Uh, I'm going to touch on a couple of them real quick because they don't really have too much of comic book correlation and <laughs> they died. So they're not really coming <laughs> back. But we saw Selby come in as a middle person, if you will, between the uh, the power broker who played a very heavy overtone in this episode. So mm-hmm. Selby is a, like I said, a middle person between the power broker and everybody else. In the comics, Selby is referenced in one page. <laughs> on one comic book in all of oh, the really? Marvel yeah in all of the 60 years that Marvel has been producing comics under the Marvel Comics headline I think it's more of a coincidence but in mm-hmm. our spoiler section we'll I'll go a little bit deeper into that and do some other possible connections again I think it's more coincidence I don't think that there's anything major there we also got Danya Madani who I could not find any names in all of my searching for all of the Marvel comics um, so I think it's just somebody that's there to help progress Carly's story forward and give you some more background and insight as to why she's helped set up the Flag Smashers. I don't think she's, there's any part of comic lore that this tied in there. Yeah, it definitely seemed more of something they, they came up with for the series. Yep. Another larger character that we get from the comics is Wilfred Nagel. He is the doctor that was blipped, much like half the other rest of the population. But he carried on the work from Dr. Erksine in Hydra for the Super Soldier Serum, trying to make it more efficient and better. In the comics, he was also the one to continue with the Super Soldier Serum. He actually is the one that gave Isaiah Bradley in the comics the Super Soldier Serum. While we don't get name-dropped Isaiah Bradley here in the show, we do get alluded to that uh, Dr. Nagel got a vial of somebody's blood, implied again that's Isaiah. Yeah, it's, well, that's, what, that's the feeling I got. Dr. Nagel said that there were 20 vials that he had. So even though we saw last episode eight Flag Smashers having Super Soldier Serum, we now know that there's a total of 20. So that most likely will play out in the second half of the series. Yeah, most yeah, most definitely. I completely expect that to, to come out. So then the other big name that we got, and it's more of an alias for Sam, but it's not actually a new person that we saw on screen, even though we saw a picture of it, is Conrad Mack or the Smiling Tiger. What's really interesting with Conrad Mack and the Smiling Tiger is that he also was somebody that was a criminal within Madripoor. So nice that they carried that thread through. The Smiling Tiger was also on the Thunderbolts team that Baron Zemo founded and led during the comics. Now, the Thunderbolts had a myriad of cast members that rotated in and out. Smiling Tiger was one of those. He's what's referred to as a mutate, not necessarily a mutant. Generally, in Marvel terms, a mutate is somebody that just has their genetic disposition or you know abilities mm. changed in a way outside of genetics. So think gamma radiation, think super soldier serum, think magic, etc. Um, so that's where he got his kind of powers. It's not really something too much like over the top of enhanced power or whatever, but it's it's interesting because. <laughs> him in the comics is extremely weird looking and kind of devilish uh but it was interesting that they turned it kind of more into a fashion forward individual here for the show which again is much more grounded for the mcu yeah for sure i find it funny how he looked at the picture he's like all right well that kind of looks like me you know <laughs> right exactly since there is a picture of somebody that is the smiling tiger if they do go the route of having a Thunderbolts movie later on in the MCU, it'd be interesting to see if it's still more just a callback or if Smiling Tiger actually does become somebody, a character on on the Thunderbolts. But again, with their rotating cast of the Thunderbolts always have, it's going to be kind of, you know, pick your, pick your choose, kind of like Suicide Squad does in, over in DC movies of like there's a just rotating cast and then you, you pick right. who you need to tell a story for. Right. So then the other big person that we get uh, this episode who's new 
to the six episodes or this series is Sharon Carter. She's not new to the MCU it's herself, but we get to see her back and she's a slightly different character this time around. She's a little more jaded. She's not as gung-ho as she was for S.H.I.E.L.D. and on the right side of the law. She's had mm-hmm. to survive the last five years during the blip because she hasn't been pardoned like Sam and Bucky has. She hasn't had her record as sponged. They still see her as an enemy of the state, if you will. So she's had to survive in Madripoor in one way, shape, or form. And that's doing some unsavory stuff while she's been in yeah. Madripoor. Yeah, she's definitely she's actually the character I wanted to see the most in this series, just to see how her her arc progressed. But she's definitely not as patriotic as she was in the in Captain America Winter Soldier. Just like with every other character in Marvel Comics, because you're talking about 60 years of stories. So you're talking about different writers coming in, having different takes on characters. So there's different ebbs and flows of everybody. So Sharon in the comics has gone back and forth into the gray area of who she is and what she's trying to do. So it's nice that they did that a little bit. We see with the GRC trying to get the normal, quote unquote, people back into society. You can kind of feel how people that were blipped were affected. Affected as we get into the refugee camp that we saw later on in the episode. But it's nice to see that there's someone like Sharon, who's supposedly a good guy, supposedly on the right side of the law, somebody that the government should be helping that that hasn't. So it's nice to see what she's had to do in her backstory for these last five years, just to get to a place that we see her in this episode of having to survive, but also gathering the right amount of intel for our crew to help propel the story forward. We'll get, we'll touch on her a little bit later on, on one of the main scenes, but, um, mm-hmm. She definitely uh, pushed the story forward in this. Because not every scene propels the story forward. And we really kind of want to get into and talk about the meteor aspects of this. So we have a little bit more of a conversation with you guys on the digital water cooler here that we call the CKC podcast. So yeah, we might skip over some things, but it's primarily where the conversation goes, but what we also think is important. So if you have any comments, we give you the contact information later on in the episode. Feel free to reach out to us. So let's talk about real quick Zemo's prison breakout. Oh yeah. It's one of my favorite scenes. You're right. It is one of my favorite scenes as well. Not only for the fact that we get introduced to Zemo and we get to see him try to say the words to trigger Bucky to go back into the Winter Soldier mindset and getting him back under Zemo's control. But we get a little bit more into the personality and the relationship that Sam and Bucky are building of Bucky saying, hypothetically, if this happened, what could go wrong? Yeah. And you follow along having the conversation of how Zemo and Bucky worked out how to break out and get to, again, enemy of my enemy is my friend. We need to work together. We need this guy for information. We're not technically breaking the law by breaking him out, but we're getting him out at the same time. So let's just be okay with this and keep going. Yeah. I thought it was awesome the way that the whole interaction with Sam and Bucky, how he's hypothetically telling him this scenario and Sam's like, yeah, I don't like what you're thinking. I hope, you know, this is right. something we're planning on doing. And it's all a flashback. Like it, it happened already. Like he walks in and he's like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. You know? And it was like, <laughs> it was perfectly done where it, there was like a comedic element to it. It also bled into the whole espionage feel of the show. It kind of might remind me kind of like a Ocean's Eleven type feel right. in that scenario. So, you know, it's very playful, but, you know, you really see how these three characters don't agree with each other, but they come to like, all right, we definitely have to get our stuff together. Like you said before, we have to take down this common enemy that we have. Even though Bucky and Sam and Zemo have different ends that they're trying to go to, obviously Zemo is trying to get rid of super soldiers in general because he hates them and he alludes to why he thinks that they're bad. Bucky's trying to 
redeem himself and also Zemo's in his notebook. So he's trying to make amends that way as well. And then you have Sam trying to figure out, you know, as the person that I am, this is just the right thing to do. No one's going about it correctly. So I just have to, they all are trying to do something very similar, but different. And they can only use each other as help to get it done. So it's, it was a really nice way to introduce that relationship and kind of speak to those things and connect you as the audience that way to say, okay, here's what we need to do. And here's why everyone's okay with it moving forward over the next three yeah. episodes. Yeah. Because if, if it was Steve straight off the bat, he's like, no, I'm not going to work with Zemo. It's no way this is going to happen. Right. But you know, Sam and yeah, Bucky are definitely the characters to do this. Exactly. And then after, after he breaks out, we get into seeing Zemo going back to where he's kept his family's garage of multitude of cars, which are interesting because some of them go back to World War II era. So that was nice to see. Yeah. But you get some more background into the history of Zemo. He's not just this person who hates super soldiers. and He's not just this person that lost his family. So he wants to see the world burn like we kind of saw in Captain America Civil War. We see him as somebody that has some depth and some history. And he you hear that he is actually a baron and he has these resources available for our crew that they're able to utilize to go do about this mission not have to worry about oh how am i get from a to z what amount of goodwill am i going to be able to get can i use the united states government covertly to get us this done it gives them some freedom if you will to go into madripoor in the dark underbelly of of the mcu because they can and they have resources to do so yeah it was important for us to know that he's a rich guy right like before they never really alluded to that they never really spent time too much about him actually being a baron um but in this very scene you're just like all right how rich is this guy that he has this jet ready for sam and bucky to leave the country and not get in trouble for it you know it's it's yeah it's an interesting aspect for that character yeah, and it's nice, too, that they uh, have a slightly comic book accurate coat that Zemo wears that's purple. Yeah. So it's, it speaks to the royalty aspect of him, but it's also got the fur coatness, if you will. So it's like, OK, yeah, they've taken the absurdity of a comic book costume, if you will, and translated it fairly well over to the MCU TV screen for us. And it's still nice to see that they've been like, OK, guys, we understand what you're looking for. Here it is, but updated and better. Right. So as we get more interaction with them, we land in Madripoor. And there's so much that happens at Madripoor. I'm sure we're going to miss something, but there's oh, kind of sure. <laughs> there's two or three really kind of key areas that we see. First, we see the entrance into Lowtown, and everyone understands that these people are new just by the fact that they're escorted in by people on motorcycles into town. I have a feeling that if it was if it was anybody else that had already been to Lowtown and people recognized them, they would not have gotten a police style escort in with a car waiting yeah. for them to pick them up with motorcycles. They would not have gotten that. So you're already they would telling just let them in. Exactly. It would just let them in. You can already tell that the people in Lowtown know that these three don't belong there or something strange. So people's senses in Madripoor are already heightened by them, three people walking in randomly. Yeah, for sure. They're really suspicious about these guys just walking in, you know, yeah. not knowing who they are. So, yeah, for sure. Everyone's kind of like all eyes on them. Exactly. So then we get into and I guess the only way I can really describe how I felt and please, Lewis, if I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong. But it felt like the most Isley Cantina in Madripoor in that bar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just, just like human, of... just human. And, you know, there's no aliens. And stuff, but yeah, it's <laughs> exactly. like the weirdest humans you could possibly see in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all just kind of together and they're all kind of being OK. Now, in the comics, there's this thing called um, the bar with no name. It's actually in New York City, but it's where all the criminals go after they get all beat up by the good guys. They, that's where they go to have a beer. And there's the 
a no fight rule. There's a no alias rule. There's just, you're, you're here to drink. Cool. Maybe make some deals, but that's about it. So it's nice that we kind of got that same feeling here this episode in the bar. And this is where Zemo starts to say, hey, we need to talk to Selby. You know who we are. You know who Bucky is. And Bucky does a really great job of acting like Winter Soldier here in this episode. Yeah. And in the scene of just beating up the guy relentlessly like he would have if he was triggered and, and acting the part. Yeah, he was so convincing in that part. Even Sam was kind of caught off guard by it. He was just like, Bucky, are you all right? Like, and he just looked at him, you know, I guess not to break character, but he's just like grunted and looked at him and kept walking, you know, but he definitely gave the old school Winter Soldier vibe that we've seen in the in the movies. Yeah. And even Zemo made a comment, too, is like, oh, how easy it is for him to slip back into that character. You know, even though you can tell he's been deprogrammed, that's fine. But he's maybe always going to be this character or maybe always have it in him to be this character. So just FYI, I'm going to walk away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and that kind of goes back to how um, he was talking to him in the prison where he was just like, I still see there's still something in you, you know, kind of alluding right. to the fact that he's still Winter Soldier in there. He's Bucky and he's like, you know, all, all good now. But there's something there that in a second that he could always turn it on. And, you know, that kind of pays off later on in the episode. There was also a real quick glimpse of Sharon in this scene, too. I don't know if you noticed that. You saw a girl pull her hood up over her to cover her face. Now, I was I was taking notes for the episode, so I couldn't see her face real quick. But I just saw it's like, oh, she seems familiar. Oh, wait, they're all going to go do some other stuff. So it was nice to see that Sharon had already been there and already been part of the scene to kind of understand that, yes, the rumors are true. These guys are walking in. We don't know what they are. So she's already been kind of keeping tabs on them. I mean, I didn't notice that. So that's a good catch. But yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was nice to see that there she Sharon, while she did kind of appear out of nowhere and not really where I was first expecting her to show up. I was expecting her to show up in the shipyard later on. But it was still nice that we were able to get her to see her earlier. So it was nice that they had a little a little foreshadowing there in the bar. Yeah. So then after Bucky beats up some people downstairs, they go upstairs and they talk to Selby. Now, Selby in the comics, like I alluded to earlier, is more of a techno wizard, if you will. Somebody that speaks well to to computers. It's actually a guy in the comics. So again, this is why I think it's just more coincidental versus like purposeful. Mm -hmm. But this is where we kind of see Selby and we get to see she has some information around where the super soldier serum is. And that's where we hear the name of Wilford Nagel being dropped. But she's like, you know, you, I'm just going to give you a little bit. You got to give me something. <laughs> and that's where we get the call from Sarah. Yeah. Oh, man, this, that part was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it was nice to see Sam kind of go through it in his head of what the conversation was going to be and how he needed to sell it on his side. Yeah. And he was but close. It, he, was he was very was close. So to close. Right up to yeah. the point where Sarah said, Sam, you're just like, no, they were they were. Two steps from the finish line. Yeah. But really, you know, if, if you're thinking back to it and you're in this position, you're calling up your your sibling and you're been like, hey, I, you know, we need to figure this out. And you're just like, you don't seem like yourself. Dude, Lewis, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And you're like, yeah, it seems normal. Right. Yeah. So it's nice. Even though we haven't seen Sarah in a while, it's nice to see that she's back and kind of keeps everyone grounded and normal, even though we're <laughs> in this land of superheroes and winter soldiers yeah. and people that can fly with wings on their back. It's nice to see that Marvel is still bringing in the every man if you will. Yeah, they're they're human beings. They're just regular people, you know, and specifically Sam, it kind of drills the point where he is just a regular guy. You know, he's yep. just not beefed up mutant or super soldier type. He's just a regular dude and stuck in this situation. So I do like that they brought her back, uh, even if it was just for a slight uh, telephone combo. Sure, exactly. So then um, I got a question. 
before Sam and Bucky go into the bar, we got on the wall saying that the power broker is watching. And the power broker got name dropped a couple times. Mm-hmm. We saw Sharon at one point after the gunfight in the top story of the bar. We saw her a couple times through the window. Do you think that she's the one that shot the guard that started the whole gunfight? Or was it somebody else? Uh, when I initially saw the episode, I definitely thought it was Sharon. But, um, you know, it, it could play both ways, really. And throughout the episode, you kind of get the vibe that Sharon obviously isn't telling the full truth right. or giving them all the information that she knows. So, you know, it could be it could be her that did it. But now, you know, it could go either way. It could it could be someone else that's um, well, we'll get back to that later on. Yeah, let's, we'll wait to and, that part at the end. We'll get yeah, we'll get to but, some, some spoilers. So there's some speculation that we have or at least I have for sure around that. Yeah. So, OK, let's. This is what we call a tease in the podcast industry. Exactly. <laughs> you got to stick around to find out what we're going to talk exactly. about. Exactly. Exactly. After Sharon saves everybody, they go into her office, studio, house, something. Not really clear. But we yeah. go to Sharon's place. It's and... like a fashion show type. Like yeah. I, I seriously thought it was like a fashion, I don't know, warehouse or something. Like she had all these clothes and things like that. But I guess studio would be the appropriate. Yeah. And you can see that she... She obviously mentioned that she's the one that helps like facilitate sales of things, right? right? That's how she makes her money. And, you know, I think it was even Bucky that said that famous pieces of work of art in like the Louvre are just reproductions because Mm -hmm. logically it makes sense. If something happens to that in the Louvre, like the Mona Lisa had paint splattered on it over the course of time. If you lose the original, you've lost the original for forever. Right. But if you make a reproduction of it and have that in the museum, okay, you just make another reproduction. No one, quote unquote, is the wiser. So, yeah, you're seeing Sharon and her studio have these famous pieces of art, these really nice pieces of fashion. So you can kind of see that she's made this nice little business or enterprise for herself, that she gets all these people together, specifically in Hightown, where all the money is, to come right. together, have a party, have an auction or a sale. But again, because you're in Madripoor, you're able to do some of that shady, under, seedy, underbelly type transactional type stuff there. Mm. And this is kind of where you get more of Sharon's backstory, what she's had to deal with in her exposition around just how to live life in the last five years. And it really kind of throws Sam a little bit for a loop, I think, because while we see him trying to use his goodwill in the first episode just to get a bank loan for his business, right? Mm. He's still trying to do the good guy type stuff. So this time around, you see someone that's being super successful by doing going down the dark path, essentially. And you can just kind of see like, it doesn't quite sit well with Sam. He understands it, but it just doesn't sit yeah. well with him. Yeah, I mean, she did, definitely got the short end of the stick, right? Like she got screwed in this situation where everyone got pardoned. I mean, even Bucky got pardoned. Yeah. You know, he has to go see a therapist or whatever. But it's like, to Sam, I think just the character change in her kind of caught him off guard completely. Yep. And then Sam ultimately got down to the point of instead of just like saying hey you know we'll do this for you just help us out he actually had to quote unquote make a transaction with her right and say okay let's make a deal you help us out i will get you this instead of just like i'll work on this for you we'll try to do this like no no you give us information we'll pardon you or we'll get you pardoned i fully expected to put sam in some sort of bind in like maybe episodes five or six because he made Mm -hmm. some he made a promise essentially or deal that he can't himself uh, fulfill. But at the same time, I think it finally sunk in, maybe subconsciously to him, that this is the person that Sharon is now. This is how she lives her life. So in order for them to keep moving forward and keeping finding the power broker or the super soldier serum and this Wilfer Nagel, he has to do this. So yeah. it was an interesting point, I think, for Sam's character of 
I got to put the good guy to the side for just a little bit. I have to do this something. Yeah, it's not super shady of a transaction, but yeah. I got to put that aside just a little bit to to get us to where we need to go. Yeah, I think him as a character just kind of felt wrong for him to make a deal instead of helping out a friend. You know, it's definitely odd for him to do that. Right. So then after the party and Sharon's able to get some more information, we find out where Wilfred Nagel is hiding. And it's in the shipyard that we kind of see from the fight scenes in the original trailer. You know, this this felt right for some reason. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the tropiness of some spy movies, there's always somebody hidden some way in some secret thing. Even even like the Dark Knight movies had yeah. Batman at one point come out of an underground lair that was underneath a, a shipyard. So it just kind of felt right. <laughs> this is where we're going to get him. Uh, yeah. For Nagel to show up. But we see his lab. We see the work that he's been doing. He can, we get all the information like we were discussing at the top of this podcast when we introduced Will, or Wilfred Nagel. But this is where you, you start to see that each one of our characters... Our main characters, Sam, Bucky, and Zemo, have different things they're trying to accomplish. Zemo broke off in his own time to go find out some stuff. He was looking for a car and also to help protect everybody. Mm-hmm. you know. And then Bucky was just trying to help protect everybody like he normally does. And Sam's just trying to get information. So it was interesting to see that we, you know, they're fulfilling those roles, going down the same path but Mm -hmm. still working for themselves, not fully cohesively a team yet, but Mm -hmm. working for themselves and their own individual ends that they're trying to get through. Yeah, their their characteristics, all all three of them played out perfectly in the scene. So Zemo did the Zemo thing and he basically, he shot him. He killed the guy, (laughs) which started the whole thing going. Right. And then (laughs) Bucky and Sam went back to the buddy cop aspect. And this is the scene that I love where Sam was trying to lead Bucky, but Bucky was trying to lead Sam. He's like, you're supposed to go left. He's like, it's in every action movie, you know, and that whole scene. going on and you you see Sharon kind of like guys come on it's what we kind of said in the first episode in in um episode zero where it's like this was their lethal weapon scene you know exactly Um, and it was really nice to see that marvel is meta enough to know that that was what was going on and people like us would be expecting that so they're saying this is what happens in every action movie the first one who goes out and clears the way and you just follow him it's like but bucky knowing what's actually better and safer was like no this is the way we need to go that's why i cleared this right so it, it was very much lethal the weapony type argument in the moment of, of, of a firefight. Yeah, but I mean, sure. Marvel does this great thing with the subgenres where it's like, this is a superhero show, this is a superhero movie, but also espionage, buddy cop, yeah, yep. action. I, I think it's just a great job and it stays true to their characters as well, especially during this scene. Yeah, while Marvel is, like you're saying, doing the superhero type genre, them bringing in other genres is really testament to Malcolm Spellman's writing abilities. And right. it's so well done. And not only do they understand the tropes in the typical Jason Bourne type movies, the typical Lethal Weapon type movies, but bringing those two kind of distinct genres together in such a fluid way is is really, really good. Oh, yeah, for sure. He definitely knows what he's saying as a, as a showrunner, exactly. just blending in MCU and, and all those other genres yep so after we saw the badass fight that sharon was doing while the guys were getting all the information what i thought was really interesting is that well i was kind of disappointed with sharon's outing here for half a second because she kind of was just like okay guys i've helped you out i've gotten your information and then she disappears off screen and then we see our our characters go off on screen but then we come back to sharon and she gets into that car with that lady that's there and it's almost like it was planned or yeah. Sharon yeah, told that, that other, other lady of like, hey, meet me here at this time. We're, we're going to, I'm going to need you to come pick me up. And Sharon's got some girl boss vibes, I think. 
Yeah, there's you know? there's definitely something going on. I mean, she definitely was a badass in this scene, by the way. Well, while they were getting the information, she was outside and just kicking ass, yeah. you know. Yeah, at this point, well, I was just like, let her be Captain America. Like, she's killing it. <laughs> yeah, her kicking ass goes back to her S.H.I.E.L.D. days. But this, this is a new Sharon. Yeah. This isn't her S.H.I.E.L.D. Sharon that we're used to. Yeah. And she was kicking ass, but, like, you could see the anger in her. So it, it was yep. interesting. But when they go back to her, she definitely gave off this, like behind the shadows type vibe where she's kind of orchestrating things. Yep. I want to know, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what, what's going to happen with her going forward. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't just bring her in for one episode to move the story along like a MacGuffin or whatever. Yeah. To pro- propel Sam and Bucky's story. We've got more meat now. So I, I'm hoping even though our crew has moved over to Rega at the end of this episode, I want her to come back. <laughs> so badly and figure yeah. out what else is going now if this is if she is just in one episode it's not the first time that marvel has bait and switched us to make us feel that you know there is going to be this person that's through all the six episodes i forget the movie but i know they did it with the steven seagal kurt russell movie where steven seagal was yeah, portrayed in the movie theater of, of being in the whole movie and then like in the first 15 minutes he's dead and, yeah. and it's like okay this is a bait and switch thing so <laughs> It's also not the first time that we're used to it. So if Sharon doesn't come back in any of the remaining episodes, I'm not going to be shocked, but I'm going to be extremely disappointed if this is the only Sharon we get these six episodes. I'm pretty sure she'll show up again. Maybe not throughout the rest of the series, but she will have at least a scene or two. All right. So before we get to the final scene and that kind of big shocker cliffhanger that we got at the end of the episode, let's talk real quick about Carly and the Flag Smashers. We get some more background here with them. We get some more human ethos here. You can see that Danya Madani, who, again, not a character from the comics, it's just someone for the show here, but she had some pretty pivotal moments and impact with Carly off screen. They got us really feeling like there's more human reasons for these characters and another layer to really kind of develop them into people versus the tropey, stereotypical terrorist group. I thought it was really well done. But with Carly then, after they go and get the, the supplies from the cache that was there at the GRC building, you know, you can kind of see that she's just kind of fed up with the GRC. It's interesting that you, you saw the human side of her earlier in the episode, and then you mm-hmm. saw kind of like the destructive side later on in the episode from Carly in, in the same span of 20 minutes. So it was really nice to see more layers to her in the Flag Smashers. Yeah, I definitely did. I dug the fact that they gave her more layers and they gave her kind of more of a backstory where it's like she is trying just to help out, you know, just the people that need it, the the rations and everything else. But at the same time, like you said, she's tired of waiting. She's tired of things changing and she's just taking matters into her own hands. And, you know, she's a very interesting character where where they kind of did all of that very quickly in this episode. But it didn't feel quick. It gave us the layers that we needed and it just drove the point forward. Yeah. When I heard that the Flag Smashers were going to be part of this series, you know, I did some quick search like I'm sure most fans of the MCU did. And Carl Morgenthau in the comics in the 80s kind of seemed like a one-dimensional character, a villain of the month or villain of the story arc, if you will, being the opposite to Red Skull and Captain America. Mm-hmm. So to me, he didn't feel like this really great character, and he hasn't really been brought back too often in the comics either. So I, I really love that Malcolm Spellman and his team was able to give Carly some depth that you're like, you know, I can kind of sympathize. I can kind of get where she's coming from. I think that's something that they've done with every character in this series. 
not just our guys from the movie, Sam and Bucky, but also Zemo and Sharon, like we're talking about. And a little bit, even though we haven't met the power broker as well, giving you some more layers that upon layers of stuff to make them feel like you can really humanize with them. You can really understand it. And it's really start making you question again, what would you do in this situation as a, as a viewer? So it's, you know, really kind of gives you more stuff to think about in this show. So it's a really good piece of, of TV. Yeah, they're, they're even doing it with uh, the new cap, John Walker. And, and you know, you got to give them some credit where they're, they're doing all of this. And it's only a six episode series. And it's a lot of yeah. depth in all these characters. So they're doing a great job with that. Yeah, it's really great. I know John and, and Battlestar showed up in this episode, but really they didn't do too much. You know, they, they progress their storyline through. And as you write a book or as you write a show, there's always an A plot and a B plot and a C plot. And sometimes yeah. they get more screen time than others just because that's what works for the story itself. So I get John and Battlestar being off camera for a little bit. But you can start to see that John's not the all-American good boy that Steve was. He's oh, He's got some rage and some dark stuff. And he's going to... He's probably going to flip out next episode, which I'm kind yeah. of really excited to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, it's it's really interesting that even with John and Battlestar, they, they, they even give them some backstory. And, yep. you know, it's it's really cool. I, I really dig that. So then to round out the episode, we got that surprise cameo, which makes sense in hindsight, but I was not expecting them to go this way at all. Uh, you get, yeah, me uh, either. I believe I'm going to say her name correctly, but we get Ao who is one of the Black Panther's security forces. Mm-hmm. At the very end of the episode, she says to, to Bucky that she's here for Zemo. Yeah, and it makes sense. Why? It, you does, know? it does make sense that yeah. if Zemo breaks out, people that put him there are going to want to know why. Right. You know, I probably would have, if I was writing the show, probably waited one more episode to give a little bit more attention. But like you're saying that there's only six episodes, you don't got that much time. They to don't. wait an episode to bring somebody in, like the Black yeah. Panther security guard people in. Mm-hmm. So I get it, um, but I was not expecting that. I mean, in hindsight, now every episode had a Black Panther, you know, reference where yes. it's like, what are you, the White Panther now? And it's like, no, it's actually right. White Wolf. It, they brought up Wakanda at one point, I think the last episode, and there's a lot of reference going on with Wakanda. It makes sense that she would show up from out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's also interesting how Bucky picked that up, right? He was just like, oh, you know, you guys go ahead. I'm just going to take a walk. When he turns around, it's like, oh, yeah, things are going to start getting interesting. <laughs> things are going to start crossovering. Yep. And, and that's the exciting part about Marvel. And it also kind of makes sense, too, because we didn't see a lot of Bucky's time in Wakanda. But his time in Wakanda was such a pivotal moment for him and his character to get to where he is now. So mm-hmm. I totally get it. I just would have waited one more episode to get a little more attention. But I get why. I think it's so much happened in this episode that they could easily just put that in the next episode. But who knows what's in the next episode? But right after the episode was done, it took me a while to process everything that was going on. And then on top of that, it was just like, thank God they don't, they're not doing the, you know, the Easter egg after the, the credits. Because then it's like, what else would you add after that? You know, I know at this point in WandaVision, we started getting slight snippets, mid credits. I'm not expecting that until episode six. Right, until the very end, yeah. All right, let's talk about ratings. IMDb gave this an 8.5. Now, interestingly, after IMDb's ratings settled down from everything for the first two episodes, this is actually their highest rated episode so far. But Rotten Tomatoes, and I have a love, mostly hate relationship with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, same here. Rotten Tomatoes yeah. gave it a 6.94, or an 80% fresh. Wow. And they yeah. gave the previous episode 100, which is... 
which is also interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Let us review it in our ratings as number of shields. I'll go first. Last episode, I gave it an 8.9. This one for me, it's much stronger than that one. I'm going to go a 9.3 shields for this one. This, wow. All right. Yeah, this, this was a, it's right in the thick of it in the middle of the movie. You've just done all your setup. You're able to keep progressing the story forward like you thought you were going to be able to. And, you know, there were some really nice surprises, like I mentioned earlier, that came into this. So, yeah, this one's, this one's pretty high for me. It's a 9.3. Give myself some room for later on, but 9.3 is where I settled. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm going to go higher as well. I'm going to give it a nice 9.0. Last episode, I gave it an 8.5. I think this episode elevated the series more in the sense where we got more of the action, right? Like every scene was right. an action scene. We also got the in-depth character development from all the characters in the series, and it was perfectly well done. I didn't feel bored or the episode didn't stall for me at any point, so I gave it a 9.0. Awesome. I'm sure when Jason comes back or when we do our bonus cast at the end of the six episodes, we can talk about what he reviewed this episode as. But now it's time to get our clashers in on the conversation. Over on Twitter at CKC Podcast, this week, much like every week after the episode airs, we put out a poll for you to talk about who you think is your MVS or your most valuable soldier. We give you four options, again, because that's all Twitter gives us is four options. And we ask for your thoughts and opinions on the episode in the comments section as well. The poll is up for three days. Because of the holidays, this is probably going to get out after the poll closes. But if you do want to vote and comment on it, we'll make sure we talk about it next cast. So this week, we gave you Baron Zemo, Bucky Barnes, Sharon Carter, and Sam Wilson. Coming in at 0%, this is Sam Wilson. Honestly, it kind of makes sense. He was just kind it of does. the guy that's there. You know, he didn't do a lot. He did do stuff, obviously, but he didn't do a lot to really kind of stand out. He was just, like I said, just kind of there, which makes sense. It was needed for him this episode for other people to shine. So totally get that. Yeah. So then coming in tied for second is Baron Zemo and Bucky Barnes. You know, I get it. They both did a lot. They both. Uh, well, they played off each other also. So it, it makes sense exactly. that they're evenly tied at that second spot. Yep. So then coming in, and again, we're recording this Friday night, so these might change, but don't think so. Coming in at first place is Shannon Carter. Now, I mean, could you have a more powerful introduction and splash, if you will, to come back into Marvel MCU when you've been gone for so many years than Sharon did? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think I thought she came back the the way she needed to, just right off the start. All action, some some funny comments to blend in with Bucky and Sam. But yeah, for a character that we haven't seen in like four movies, you know, yep. to come back like that, I, I thought she she was perfect. She was great. So, yeah. Lewis, who is your MVS for this episode? Yeah, this one. I think this is the hardest one that we've had so far. I'm gonna do the Jason thing, so I'm I'm tossing up between Sharon and Zemo, <laughs> but. You know, as much as I want to say Sharon and all her action sequences and everything was great about her, I'm going to go with Zemo only because I feel like there's a lot of in his dialogue where I think it's going to lead up to the things um, going on with uh, the new Captain America, John Walker. Plus, it was fun to see him in the club just dancing for no reason. Like, <laughs> it was so out of place, but yet it wasn't like it's like, all right, he just broke out of jail. He he's rich. He's, he's going to be dancing. Like he's going to be like, look at me. I'm free. Yeah. I'm free. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Zemo on this. Awesome. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that Marvel learned the lessons of Peter Parker dancing in Spider-Man yeah. three with Tobey Maguire and how well it didn't work. So I'm it glad that yeah, this one did work. So for myself, you know, Zemo was great. Bucky was great. Like I just said earlier, uh, Sam didn't have too much 
I'm sorry, Lewis. I've got, oh, I've got to pick Sharon Carter. Makes sense. Like I said, she, it's a great reintroduction to her. Earlier in the movies, we saw her as just kind of this person that liked Capt and was doing her job and helping everybody out because that's what she told to do. Now she's got like her own backbone. She's got her own story and she's got her own place in life, things that she's trying to do. And I might be going against our credo of speculation without expectation because I'm expecting her to do something here in a bit that we'll yeah. get into in just a minute. And that, I think, is what is making me a little biased to her this episode. But yeah, I, I pick Sharon. I, I think Zemo will have a different episode later on. So I'm kind of holding him back just a little bit for a bit. Yeah, smart. I mean, Sharon, I mean, Sharon was great in this episode. It was really hard for her, but it's just, <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to throw Zemo in there because it, it was fun watching him back, man. And, and for sure. that actor, he's amazing. Man. I think he plays Zemo perfectly. Yeah, it's kind of great. All right. So if you guys want to join in on the conversation, you can do it in a couple of ways. One, like I said earlier, you can reply to the tweet that is put out on Friday mornings after the episode airs. You can email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. But if you would like to hear some other voice between mine, Lewis's, and Jason's, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 252-CKC-6606. That's 252-383-6606. We'll play it and respond to it as well in the future episodes. And now it's time to jump into the quantum burst and look into spoilers, theories, and some speculation with some minor, maybe, expectation on my part. <laughs> Bring so, that rule, man. I know, I know. It's a rule I put in place, too. But uh, I can't help it right now. And so, yeah, if you guys do not want to be spoiled, feel free to drop off here, and we'll see you next week as we review Episode 4 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. For those of you that are still sticking around, just a couple minor spoilers and theories before we get to one big one. So as I alluded to at the top of the cast... Selby is a character from the Excalibur series, which lives in the X-Men world or the X-Men portion of Marvel Comics. Uh, Like I said earlier, he's on one page in one issue. People are saying out there that this is like, oh, Marvel's way of getting into the X-Men world now that they own that property. Honestly, I think it's just pure coincidence. Like I said earlier, this has been written for a while i think is even written before the news of the fox and disney merger came out so i don't think they could have planted a seed like this you know and honestly if selby was a more predominant character in excalibur or the world of x-men there'd be more to talk about here so i think it's just a common name madripoor plays a bigger part in the x-men world i think again that's just the right setting that we have here for this series being the criminal underworld las vegas type place it's more of a nod and might come up in future X-Men movies, but I don't think yeah. it's, you know, I think it's all just pure coincidental at this point. There are other characters that play in Madripoor, not just the X-Men. So there's kind of like Marvel and Fox were able to share, share that location. So, so then the final one, and this is what we, we've been kind of alluding to, seeing that the power broker is watching and then, you know, seeing that on the wall and seeing how the power broker has his big influence and Madripoor and everything we've gotten up to this point is because Carly and team got the super soldier serum from Madripoor. So that makes sense. With Sharon driving off like that in the car, I, I think she's the power broker. Um, yeah, I've been reading that theory online and it kind of makes sense. You brought up in other episodes where you think it is um, when you thought it was General Ross, maybe being the power broker and, and doing all of this. I could still see that happening. I'm actually reading this the Captain America comic book now where, um, I don't know if you read it, uh, Winter in America, where mm-hmm. General Ross is basically playing 
Sharon Carter in that book and seeing how Sharon is in this episode, you know, I could still see that. I could see maybe Ross is playing her or mm -hmm. just manipulating the whole situation. But at the same time, Sharon being the power broker would be such a huge twist. I've read some stuff where, oh, Zemo might change and become a right. good guy or a hero in this situation. Yep. And it's like, if either of those things happen, it's such a big twist for Marvel to do that, where yeah. it could be really, really cool to see, or it could fail, <laughs> you know? But I, I could totally still see Ross in there. I just don't know when he would pop up. Yeah, Ross could be, he could still be the guy that's orchestrating everything, like Jason said last episode. Right. And he's the one that put Sharon in place as the power broker in Madripoor. So it wouldn't get back to him as he's doing the GRC or whatever else he's doing right now. Um, I could see that potentially being happening, too. But they're they're kind of heavy handedly saying that something is something else is going on with Sharon, like we were saying earlier. But there is something more to her happening in Madripoor that it's not just as clear cut and dry as she's portraying it to our guys. It would be also really cool, like you're alluding to it. Having Zemo lead the Thunderbolts team, if and when Marvel does do that. But even in the comics, he was leading the team and seemed like he was trying to amend for his his wrongs, but he always had some sort of ulterior motive behind the scenes that he was right. working towards, too. Yeah, so. and the same thing as Ross, too. Like, he, he always had something like alternative motive going on, even when he seemed like a good, a good guy. I do have one theory, though. Um, okay. So they're saying that there's 20 vials of the super soldier serum right they're on that plane and he's, he's talking to sam and bucky and he's like obviously i'm not a fan of the super the soldier program and the serum you know they're all hyped up and the, and the government uses them and they have power now that could easily either go like a steve rogers situation where it's like he's very noble and, and he wants to do good with the people with that power or go to like a red skull situation just how the episode open of how john walker is and how he's acting as Captain America, very militant, very it's my way or the highway type situation. I, I see him getting one of these vials and they're foreshadowing the fact that he's going to be a bigger bad, maybe for another season or another series that, you know, they got to stop. So, you know, that's one main theory. I, I think he's eventually toward the end of this series for sure. He's going to he's going to get some super soldier serum in him. That is what I'm expecting as well. I think they're building him up to be you know, the, the Patsy or the fall guy, if you will, for Captain yeah. America not working out. And that's why they give the shield back to Sam, like I was thinking last time. But yeah, I, I fully expect that, you know, Flake Smashers might only have 10 of those vials and the power broker or General Ross has the other 10. So you're still right. kind of tracking that through everything. Now that there's speculation that it, the super soldier serum or this new version could create a, a mutant or something. That's how they're getting it. It's, you know, wild speculation. I do know that because of covid the showrunner Malcolm Spellman and the rest of the writers had time to rework some of the writing for the ending of the, of the series, which is why WandaVision came out first. They're like, Oh, we mm -hmm. got some time to think about it. Let's tighten up the story a little bit. So there might be stuff that we see in the first two or three episodes that pay off differently or don't pay off at all at the end of the, the end of these six episodes because of that rewriting. I think it's just the last one or two. I don't think it was more than that, that they were mm -hmm. able to, to tighten up a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they end this episode, especially with uh, John Walker. And, you know, <laughs> I read somewhere too that uh, Wyatt Russell, the actor, knows and is happy that everyone hates John Walker. Because everyone hates him. <laughs> it's what you're supposed to do at this point. And like I said last time, it's a, it's a testament for him being as good of an actor that he is to make us feel that way about him. He's doing a great job in the sense of everyone is hating this guy. Like there's memes 
of just people just <laughs> bashing this guy and they're hilarious because yeah. it's like you know just like jason said that's not my cap you know and yeah. i saw that meme that's not my cap yeah. it's a great testament to the writing and to the actor himself for how well they're doing with this with this character all right and that is all that we have for you today please join us next week as we review episode four of the falcon and the winter soldier until then i'll be on your left and this round's on me Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me. I didn't think Baron Zemo was going to be so funny.